You are listening to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss our RC adventures. Welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of the new RC Flyer. Join your hosts, Michael and Jay, as they take flight at the park. Now on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast. I'm Michael from Arizona, and with me always are my co-host, Jay from the hills of Texas, and AK Mike in Texas. How's it going? Awesome. I'm having a good time. Did you fly any this week? Uh, no. Um, we actually had some bad raining. weather, and when I went to go fly, the day we were going to go fly, it actually, it actually rained, and everybody was amazed, and you know, had to collect rainwater, and you know, that kind of thing. So I didn't actually fly. Well, if it makes it, if it makes you feel any better, it rained up here twice. Twice. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing that it rained up here. Yeah, it knocked my uh, mop bucket over too. <laughs> It was windy, is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I have a little mop bucket. It knocked it over because of the wind. <laughs> okay. It was a monsoon, so we got a lot of rain. You know, it's Phoenix. So, but the good news is, it's not 150 degrees outside. It was only 105. So, wonderful. I know. That's right. Nice. It was good. So, did well, you, uh, did you do any flying? I didn't. Do, well, actually, I take that back. I did do some flying last Tuesday. I went out with uh, the guys there at the park. They hadn't seen me for a little bit, so I was like, ooh, you know. And uh, I got to fly um, my wing. Awesome. And, um, yeah, so anyway, I went out and flew. Uh, actually, I flew the wing out at the other club. And then uh, this one, I took um, I took something else out there. I can't even remember. I'm getting old. Um, I took the walrus out. One of my other airplanes, and uh, and I flew it around, so it was pretty fun. So we had a good time. Yeah, because you haven't been flying lately. I've been working. So I've been working, and when I wasn't working, I was over at Spencer's house uh, building on my F sixteen. Ooh! So we got a little bit. Which, of, by uh, the way, tonight we are this. We have a special guest on tonight. Oh, do we have that in the budget? We do. Wow. We, uh, Man, we, we added a, another uh, surprise host today. We have Spencer uh, with us at the, in the podcast studio. So, uh, Spencer, welcome to the Park Fire Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How's it going, Spencer? He's pretty excited. We've been, he's, been, he's been a podcast listener, and, and you know we've been talking about him more and more since I've been coming over and, and building with him. So uh, we're pretty excited to have him on because he, uh, he's got a pretty good uh, background and a bunch of different airplanes in here. So we're excited to have him this week. And I guess we yeah, should let I, everybody know, a disclaimer, that uh, we're going to have a battle of the egos because we do have two pilots in the same room. Oh this my is gosh. true. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be electric. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, it's not electric planes, Jay. They're gas planes. Come on, yeah. man. Uh, they're real airplanes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he and I are both real. He and I are both airline, by, airline pilots. So, so, so yeah, it's folks at, folks at home, you can't see it, but they're already talking with their hands and, uh, you know, they're pointing <laughs> out what time it is and. Talking about their six. So, you know, if you hear the, that kind of thing, don't worry. We're flying with our hands, right? We're <laughs> there I was. There, there I, I was. There I was. And Spencer was right behind me. <laughs> That's right. The new Top Gun movie's coming out soon, right? That's right. It is coming we out. we got to get warmed up. We do got to get warmed up. <laughs> Spencer, and I are, Spencer and I are starring in the new Top Gun movie. <laughs> that would be by. good. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, we're extras. Just, <laughs> you know, stand-ins. <laughs> 
uh, where the guy's doing? actually flying the airplanes while they superimpose Tom Cruise's face on our on face. Our face. There our you face. go. See, yeah. see, he's he's right there with us. Yeah. He knows exactly. <laughs> well, Spencer, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background in uh, or in uh, park flying or podcasting, RC, whatever you want. Yeah, to call. well, I've been listening to you guys. Uh, obviously, being a friend of your guys's for a little while, and hearing myself. Mentioned a few times, I figured I'd finally maybe sneak in and make an appearance. So <laughs> well, I'm here, but um, yeah, so I've been flying since I was about 12 years old, and uh, it began with a Telemaster 40. Learned how to fly on that until my skills were just good enough to get the airplane around the patch and then land it again, and this is out in Southern California. Because I wasn't old enough to drive, I had to resort to a Zaggy and uh, ride my bike down the street to the park with the Zaggy in hand, of course, and then go fly that on a two or three times a week basis. And that really kind of got my skills going to the point where I could fly decently. The Zaggy kind of segued me into slope soaring. So I did some F3F racing and some dynamic soaring out on the uh, hills out in Southern California. And when I turned 18, I moved to Phoenix to go to flight school. And unfortunately out here, we have nothing but heat and rock piles. That's true. So all the nice composite airplanes that I had were sold and I'm stuck with things that rely on outside power. So there you go. now we're doing, well, what started out as nitro helicopters, but that's kind of faded into electric helicopters, electric mm-hmm. park flyers, turbine jets, 3D, giant scale 3D airplanes, and now uh, maybe even a scale warbird. That's kind of how everything morphed, but I've been in the hobby for almost 20 years now. We were talking earlier a little bit about building. I do enjoy building, which seems to be a dying art. Right now I'm working on a turbine F-16 that uh, we're actually making gear doors and some other parts, and they're out there cooking right now in the garage. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, yeah, so we're always tinkering with something. And then you and I are also working on those 70-millimeter Lanzang F-16s. This is true. So all kinds of projects going. See, in the summertime out here in Phoenix, it's hotter than hell, and we don't (laughs) want to go fly. (laughs) So we build. While the rest of the country has beautiful weather and they're out flying, we're we're building. So we're kind of on the, like, opposite of the rest of the country but yeah the summer is our building season here well we talked we mentioned that in our last podcast because these guys were saying you know that they were bored wish there was something to do and you know because they're used to building in the winter time yes, up in alaska exactly. and now they're out oh my gosh it's so hot yeah we look out the door out, out the window it's a beautiful day oh boy run out there with my dog and we both like stop right as we the sun hits us and we start screaming and we run back in the house and i'm like what the hell is wrong with it out there my gosh i want to go fly oh you know, yeah, right. I, no way. Even the dog's tails between his legs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is a culture shock. Yeah, see, I've acclimated because I've lived here so long. So that was pretty funny. Well, these little F-16s are amazing. Uh, unfortunately, Spencer already has like 10 or 12 flights on yours, right? Yeah, something like that. And I'm still building mine, which Jay cannot understand because when he and I build stuff, it's normally done 20 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, well, you know, sometimes it takes a day, you know, because yeah. we have to manufacture if a few that. parts or or just re rework something. So, right, you know, right. but yeah, we've been busting out. You know, every time we come down for the electric Arizona or the Arizona Electric Festival, you know, what do we do? We I bring you a kit or two, and then we we knock yeah, them out in just a day or two before the actual event, and we go and fly. So, yeah, it's true. Now we usually we've done a couple of maidens at the Arizona Electric Festival. Uh, yes, and we Once had and we've had a couple of grand failures there too. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. So, you know, one we jet. Um, let's see, uh, Warbird. Um, 
I'll see. We also what we had we had another one. That first year we were there, I ruined half your fleet. I know I know I wrecked half your planes. <laughs> That's right, he did wreck. We lost my pattern airplane out in the desert. That ripped the wing off of that. We lost, uh, what else? Um, I don't know. Uh, you're right. Almost half of my fleet was uh, at least something Something happened to it out well, in the you desert. you need a bigger fleet. Yeah, yeah. well, I have had a pretty big fleet to begin with. <laughs> it's not Jay's fault. <laughs> you know, but uh, hey, I make true. up for it. I come down, I bring him a plane every year. I, I repair all of his planes. Whenever I show up, I repair half that's of his true. fleet that's gone into disarray or something's wrong with him. So I come down and fix all his stuff. So it works out. Except this last year. This last year I had everything ready to go. You did. This is the first year. First year you, yeah. were, you were good to go for the most part. But that's because I knew Mike was coming too. So. Oh, that's true. Trying to trying to impress Mike, AK Mike. So. No, I just didn't want. To. I knew that Mike had some that he was building. So. Yeah, we built we built some of mine, and then uh, we had a really good time there, except for the wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So uh, these little F 16s have a uh, an intake that Spencer designed and made, and actually, I think you sell them as well, right? Or you have some? Yeah, I was for a while. So yeah, this, this F-16 has a little bit of a story as everything else goes. So I started building these stupid things, maybe 2011, 2012 Mm -hmm. is kind of when I got one of these and started building it. And it actually, just because I saw one guy at the, we kind of had a park flyer field uh, nearby. It wasn't a sanctioned club. It was more or less just a piece of abandoned property that we all flew at. One of these guys showed up with this, with the ARF version, the airplane, from a scale outline perspective is really accurate. It looks really nice, especially for it being as small as it is. It looks really nice because there's been a lot of F-16s that have come out that don't even hardly resemble an F-16. So me seeing this, I fell in love with it uh, just because an F-16 is my favorite airplane. And I take a closer look. They've got like these flimsy plastic landing gear that come with the airplane that just fold up into the intake, which is where all the air is going and feeding the engine. And it's just a mess inside. So I sat there and looked at it and decided I was going to spend way too much time on it. So I bought a kit version, which is just the foam shell, and then reverse engineered this airplane to put in um, a landing gear set that I ultimately, I started out using a CNC router on to cut plywood and to mount the landing gear around the intake. And then it kind of morphed into, I got my hands on a laser cutter and I started laser cutting them sat there and I probably had 60 to 80 hours minimum into engineering and building the foam intake plug to make the parts off of. And I thought, well, if I went through all this pain and suffering, um, I might as well make these available to the other guys out there that are flying these airplanes. Cause there was a couple of guys that attempted to make an intake tube out of a Pringles tube. <laughs> That's <laughs> not <right>. so good. <laughs> um, Pringles so I, I, I figured I would use it as a learning experience. And that was kind of my, uh, my real first composite project that I started from the ground up and learned how to work with, you know, the pink or the blue foam that you buy at Home Depot and shape it up the way you want it to. And then obviously you glass your plug, prime it. And then, cause your, your mold is only as, or your parts are only going to be as good as your mold learning the importance of building a, a plug that was flawless and then therefore your parts turn out to be flawless. So I engineered this whole thing, spent all this time on it. Long story short, I wound up making these things available to uh, other flyers on RC groups, believe it or not. And I never anticipated really selling maybe more than five or six of these things. I thought, Oh, then my time is worthwhile. You know, there's going to be a few of these floating around there and people are going to be able to enjoy, enjoy this airplane. And, 
by the way, after doing these mods, the thing really screams and it's got really good performance. So I did something right and it was kind of luck by accident, but, uh, I turn, it turns out that I wound up selling over 120 of these and I think they're in like eight or nine different countries around the world. So it's kind of cool that people would, uh, give me a private message on RC groups or they would see my YouTube videos that I would demonstrate the mods that I was doing and ultimately wound up shipping these things all over the place, which is kind of cool to know that your hard works kind of well. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So it was a lot of work. And then they had the same company, it's Lanzang and a lot of people go shorten it to LX, which is kind of their nickname, so to speak. But uh, Lanzang is the actual manufacturer of these kits that Banana Hobby was selling for a long time. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners on here are familiar with Banana Hobby and all the EDFs that they were pushing uh, a few years ago. These kits are, are beer cooler foam, you know, just that EPS, that polystyrene. So the the plus side is is they're strong and rigid and they look great. The downside is is they're really fragile and they ding easy. You know, at the time, we didn't have these big 90-millimeter F-16s right. that Freewing and FMS are building now. We didn't have any of these options. So in order to get something to perform and to fly well, we had to go through all this work right. to get there. And, you know, with this being six, seven years ago, um, it was a, a while back. So now it's more of a throwback. And I got Mike here in Arizona sucked into one because he saw mine. <laughs> and, and we're exactly. uh, probably two weeks into building this thing. Not full time, obviously, but on, on a weekend basis more or less, and uh, and now he regrets that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it really kind of sucked, too, because when I ordered the airplane, they had it in stock, and then right when they went to go ship it, they sent me an email that said, oh, it's not in stock anymore. So I was sitting around. He had one already to build, and so I was kind of like, oh, man, this is terrible because I'm having to wait on my airplane. Come to find out, he had two of them that he ordered from last time, so... He was like, just come on over. We'll use the one that I have. And and so, uh, yeah, he, he let me have the other one while mine was being shipped here. So when the mine got here, I just put it back in the, in the little cubby hole with his. And so now he's got a spare one as well. <laughs> yeah, because I have like 20 airplane projects sitting around at any one time. So I That's didn't right. miss it, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's been a kind of an interesting. This whole molding process is very, very... New to me because you know I mean I'm I'm not scared of working with foam, so I I can tear foam out. I mean I know Jay and I talked about the uh, F18 that I had the Starmax F18 and and we basically moved the landing gear back four or five inches on that thing to change the CG, and so I you know I'm familiar with that. But this was a whole different project because we were taking foam away and not adding anything to it, and then we're building this fiberglass thing which was totally new to me. I mean I'm not a fiberglass guy so I have a little bit of an allergic reaction to it so I don't really deal with it too much but it was very interesting this whole process right and and I got a little bit of a taste of it from being up in Alaska we have a uh, AK Mike and I have a mutual friend Rob and he's another one of these glass masters he's he does fantastic work with with fiberglass it's it's he and w- once again he's just one of those ingenious guys he builds all sorts of things or makes his parts or you're talking about something and then, um, you know, he'll see something on a part in a plane and then he'll go home and he'll mill it out. You know what I mean? And he'll make right. an actual metal part, you know, replica of something on an aircraft. And you're like, hey, that's really cool. What, who, who, ma- you know, what kit, you know, who makes that kit or who makes that part? 
And he's like, oh, I, I just whipped it up. You know, I'm like, how do you do that? You, I just whipped it up. Okay, that's cool. But uh, we, he had uh, remolded your fiberglass. What was it? Your oh, landing, landing gear. gear. For your, yeah, landing for your, gear. For, your, uh, for my pattern plane. Your pattern plane, that's it. Yeah. That's so true. He, it's kind of amazing how that works out. So I'm just glad that you met that somebody, together. you know, in this to who has this knowledge of how to do this because that's something that we have never really gotten into and I've always been interested in it. When you were molded uh, for Spencer, when you molded that long piece to make it, did you you had to carve all of that out of foam first, right? Sure. So to basically be to begin the process, you take that inch and a half, which I think is as thick as they sell at Home Depot or Lowe's, the big box stores, or that pink or that blue insulation foam. The nice thing is, is it's available. That's the biggest thing. It's available, and it actually sands fairly well. So what you can do is just take your 77 spray, your 3M Super 77 spray, and laminate as many pieces of this inch and a half foam together until you actually have the size of the plug that you're ultimately going to need. You can do do things one of two ways. You can either hot wire it to rough out the shape, or you can sand it. And I found the easiest thing to use is I have about a 40-grit disc, you know, abrasive disc that you'd put normally on like a grinder or um, a, a drill for a wheel, and it just makes it rain foam. So you can actually get through that foam in a timely <laughs> manner because you'll be there all day with like yeah, 120, sure. right? Sure. You know, maybe even a year. But, <laughs> you know, you can really get down part that you're looking for, or at least the, the shape that you're looking for, and rough it out in a fairly short amount of time. So it's easy to work with. You can hot wire it. And that's the beauty of gluing it together with a spray adhesive rather than using epoxy is the hot wire isn't going to cut through that epoxy very well. But if you use that spray adhesive, the hot wire will cut right through it. You have one of two ways, right? You can you can either hot wire it or, or use the sandpaper. And then once you get the shape that you're looking for, you refine the surface down to a finer sandpaper grit, uh, maybe down to, let's say, like 220 or something. And then you're going to take fiberglass and wrap the thing up and uh, glass it up. Now, once that cures, now you have to do the body work, right? You're going to be sanding the fiberglass down, adding filler. Uh, my favorite filler is a product by Evercoat called Metal Glaze. And it's kind of a turquoise color. And then you mix a hardener with it. And it, the beauty of it is it dries and like, it basically sets up in a minute. And you can be sanding on it in under 10 minutes. So if you have a little void or a spot that you want to fix, you don't have to sit there and wait all day. And it's a product very similar to Bondo, but it, it's much more creamy and easier to work with. It's more fluid. And I use a, just a straight-edge razor blade as a spreader on smaller projects or pinholes. And then on larger stuff, you can use those plastic spreaders that they sell. And that works really well in fiberglass, metal, you name it. It has really good value in the RC world for a filler. So once you get the plug all sanded out and it's looking good, then you'll prime it. And the primer really kind of helps you see the imperfections. So once you have this plug primed and sanded out, you can see if there's any pinholes in it easily because now it has a coat of paint on it. And you just keep sanding, filling, sanding, filling until you're either crazy <laughs> or it looks good. Exactly. Now you have uh, a part that you can sand down with maybe like 2,000 or 2,500 sandpaper. And then you'll apply a mold release wax. I mean, really any wax will work, but uh, the harder carnauba waxes are a little better suited for molding because they're a little more durable and and harder. So that way when you're pulling a part off of it, it stays intact. And you, and you can just get these at like uh, AutoZone or Walmart or whatever, right? Yeah, the, the mold 
the the specific wax for mold release is kind of more of a specialty product, but a carnauba wax is a good alternative if you don't want to mail order a special kind of wax. Right. But I mean, for example, even even Meguiar's of all people, they manufacture a mold release wax, which is designed just for the purpose. Gotcha. So you get your mold, and it, it what we're doing with this intake here is we're actually doing the opposite of what you would consider a normal layup inside a mold. Because in a normal mold, right, you've got a negative of the shape that you want, and you're laying your fiberglass inside of it. And then when you pop it out, now you have a positive, where the outside of it is smooth, and the inside we don't really care because it's inside of your airplane. Right. Well, on a on an intake ducting or anything that's hollow like that, where the air is traveling through the inside, we're actually doing the opposite. We're taking a plug and laying the glass on the outside of it. And then in the case of how I get the fiberglass off of a complex round object is I slice down the side of the mold, and then that creates uh, basically a zipper or opening where you can pull it off the mold. And, yeah, it leaves a score mark on your mold and damages it, but what's neat is if you can take a Sharpie and run it down that score mark and then keep cutting your parts off at the same location every time, and eventually it turns into like a, a very small V-groove that guides your knife down, so that way... When you make multiple parts off the same mold, you only have one seam line. And you're going to have a seam line anyway because you still have to cut it off and glue it back together. Right. Lastly, to give it strength, we take carbon fiber toe, which is just a long unidirectional strand of carbon fiber. And uh, for those guys out there that aren't that familiar with composites, they typically refer to like carbon toe, for example, as 3K, meaning that there's 3,000 strands in string or a bundle and it's just unidirectional comes on a spool just like ribbon very strong you know they say carbon fibers three times stronger than steel or whatever and that's kind of a loaded mm-hmm. statement because it depends on how you use it but it, no it is it's light and it is strong and uh, i wrap these intakes in a shoelace pattern so you do two opposite spirals on this and that creates basically a skeleton a structural skeleton on the outside and then the fiberglass part that we molded is the skin on the inside. It doesn't really have any strength. And this is, of course, to keep it from collapsing under vacuum or under load, because when you throw one of these ducted fans in there, and you guys know how powerful these things are now, uh, there's a lot of suction in the front of that. And what we're trying to do is prevent it from collapsing, because if it collapses, it's no good. So really the trick here is to build it strong enough to where it won't collapse, but light enough where you're not flying around a you know, a lead weight in your... A lead sled. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For a lot of people, including myself, so what what type of fiberglass, what thickness of fiberglass cloth are you talking about? So for the well, initial it, mode, I'm, I'm assuming that you're not using that thick of a cloth since you're, you know, cutting on your, your plug. Correct. And then when you put it together, that's, like you said, you're put, wrapping the toe around it to give, give it some strength. So what sure. thickness are you, you talking about for that first initial mold? So, yeah, to make the skin, which is going to be the the form or, you know, the skin inside of your intake, I use six-ounce cloth, just one layer. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a lot, but when you you pull it off the mold and you glue it together, I mean, it's like holding paper mache. It's very delicate and light. It really is. And it's very flexible and flimsy because, you know, remember, you're only using one layer here. Um, And another thing, too, is when you cut a part off of a, a mold like that, do it while the epoxy is still setting up, because if you wait till it's hard, you're going to be it's like cutting through concrete. But if you do it while it's still ah, gotcha. soft, a razor blade will glide right through it. 
So you can slice it. You don't have to pull it off the mold. Just slice it and leave it alone. Let it cure and then pop it off. Makes your life a whole lot easier. Um, but to answer your question, six ounce cloth is what I use for, a, let's say, a 70 millimeter uh, EDF or anything smaller than that. Seems mm-hmm. to work really well. And then as you get more powerful, obviously, you want to up your cloth weight to give it more strength. And really, I think that the six ounce might even, if you were to engineer it properly, you might even be able to get away with six ounce on a 90 millimeter fan, uh, assuming that you're doing the toe correctly. Because really, the, that's, the str- that's the skeleton keeping this whole thing from collapsing. Gotcha. Very cool. Now, the uh, amazing part about that is the fact that this thing weighs nothing. I mean, it really, when it comes off of that mold like that, it's just, you could almost crush it in your hands. The thing comes off the mold as just regular fiberglass, right? Mm-hmm. But Spencer said that we could paint it because the intake of a real F-16 is not fiberglass. It's white. It's got a white paint in there. So we painted it on the mold, Correct. right? Is that so what it's said? what, you know, you look at airplanes online and it says painted in the mold. What that means is they have the mold sitting out there. And before they actually put the fiberglass part in and do the layup, they actually shoot the mold itself with like an epoxy paint, a two-part paint that will cure without the presence of, you know, open air. It doesn't need to off-gas, basically. So what they do is they paint these parts in the mold. Then they lay up the layup of fiberglass, carbon, whatever composite material they're working with on top of the paint. And it actually chemically bonds to the whole – this whole thing bonds together because – as resin dries, whether it's your five-minute epoxy that you're used to using or laminating resin, it's really all the same family. These two chemicals that you mix together do a process what is called cross-linking. And if you have an epoxy paint, you actually are cross-linking the paint to the actual airplane itself as you lay this thing up. You know, for those of you guys out there, too, another interesting thing about epoxy is as long as the epoxy is still in that cross-linking chemical process you can apply more epoxy to it or let's say more layers of a layup or even paint and it will chemically bond and structurally hook itself to the previous layer assuming that it's not dry already. So that's kind of an interesting thing is if you're working with something, the part that you need more time or multiple stages during the construction process, a lot of these resins, if you do it within 24 hours, it'll actually be chemically one part which is kind of neat. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, hey, it is so, interesting. So another question. For doing most epoxy work that I've ever done or fixes or something, it's like you threw it on your cloth or you tack it down, and then, you know, I make loop on the epoxy on top of the cloth or something. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming for this, you're not exactly doing that. You're Are you coating the, the epoxy cloth, I mean, the cloth first and then laying it up, or, or how are you doing that? You really can do it either way, but by far the easiest way to do almost any layup, whether it be on the outside of a mold, like what I'm doing for an intake, or even on the inside of a traditional mold, is to actually take a little cheap Harbor Freight chip brush and then just use that as an applicator for your resin and paint your mold first, and that coats it with resin. And then you can take dry cloth, which is really maneuverable at that point because it's not soaked in resin and the fibers can move around freely, and you can stuff it down in your part and allow it to take the form of whatever your mold is. And then the resin will naturally wet out the cloth that you're laying down. It'll soak right in. It's like magic. And then as it soaks in, you can take your chip brush out and start 
you know, dabbing it on the outside and really making sure you don't have any dry spots. But that's by far the easiest way that I've ever found. There's another process called vacuum infusion where you actually lay up all your glass inside of a, a mold and then inject the resin and it actually travels through the, the mold and all the fibers under basically pressure and vac the combination of pressure and vacuum. But that's really kind of, I mean, there are RC guys doing it, but that's way above my level at this point. I'm still kind of experimenting and getting better at it as I go, even though I've been doing it for almost 10 years now. I don't have, I don't hold a candle to these guys that actually really know what they're doing. <laughs> um, so it's more of, of an advanced process. But for what I'm doing, uh, even vacuum bagging is at the upper limit of, of what I typically do just because with the intakes, you don't have to vacuum bag it. you got the part, and you're actually working on the outside. The smooth part is on the inside. So as long as the resin is on the part and you get the cloth wetted out, um, you're going to wind up with a good part without any voids, air bubbles, pinholes, or anything like that on the inside. So hopefully that answers your question, Jay. Oh, yeah, I think it does. Because I was going to say uh, the guys who do the vacuum molding and stuff are usually the glider guys who are making, you know, DLGs or stuff like that that I've seen or on YouTube or, or stuff like that. But that's that's still kind of cool either way. And you mentioned about globbing epoxy on. Like let's say you're making a repair on the outside of your airplane and you need to put some fiberglass cloth as a reinforcement. It doesn't matter if it's on the inside or outside of your airplane. It makes no difference. But as far as how much epoxy resin do you need, well, if the cloth is wet, that's all you're trying to accomplish and if there's any excess epoxy on your airplane, more than what's required to wet out that fabric, you're just wasting your time because you're adding weight and you're adding zero strength. The strength is in the fibers of the cloth. It's not in the resin itself, which is why you can take a, let's say you take an epoxy or take an airplane that you want to seal off with, let's say epoxy because you want to paint it. Now drop that part on the ground and you'll notice that the epoxy will chip off the wood or whatever it happens to be made out of, it'll chip right off. But even if you take half-ounce cloth, which is like almost non-existent, I mean, it's so lightweight, you could fold it up three times and not even notice it's on, on an airplane. And you take that part and drop it on the ground, you'll notice that it, those fibers in there hold all the epoxy together and keep parts from chipping off or damage, really. The magic is in the fibers themselves and not just the epoxy. In order to prevent putting, you know, you may say, well, how much is too much epoxy? Uh, an easy trick is to go buy some nylon from the fabric store. <laughs> and some people use ripstop. Some people just use regular nylon. It doesn't really matter as long as it's cheap because <laughs> it's going to go in the trash can anyway. Right. So let's say you have a fuselage that's uh, broken in half and you want to do a repair. You're going to, you know, kind of tack your fuselage together and then take some fiberglass cloth and you're going to wrap it in that area. And then afterwards, what you can do is take this cloth that you bought from the you know, craft store, Michael's or Joanne Fabrics or Fabric Store, wherever you get it, and take that and lay it on top of the fiberglass just as if it was fiberglass itself. And then on top of that, you can use paper towels or any sort of absorbent material. And what will happen is that resin will wick through what we call peel ply, or that ripstop nylon, and it'll actually wick through and absorb into your paper towels or into your padding material, and it actually draws all the excess resin that is not required in the layup away. And then when you're done, you might think, well, that ripstop nylon I just put right on the epoxy, there's no way I'm going to get it off. And epoxy doesn't bond to the nylon because it's non-porous, 
So you can actually just take it and rip it right off of your airplane afterwards, and you're left with a nice either paintable uh, or easily sandable surface that has the same exact texture as the the cloth that you put on there, you know, the ripstop nylon. And it's ready to be bonded to with more epoxy or glue or paint or um, primer even. So it kind of draws all that excess uh, resin away, and that's something that you guys can experiment with at home if you haven't tried it. No, that's yeah, pretty I haven't neat. ever done that. But that was kind of my first thought, too, is, you know, oh, if I put this cloth on there, um, it's going to stick to the epoxy. I'll never get it off. It'll be right. stuck there forever. But really, no, it actually tears right off with very minimal effort. And you'll notice that after you tear that off, you're going to have this big, heavy thing in your hand with, you know, the... Uh, paper towels and excess resin and the, the nylon cloth in your hand, and then you're going to be left with a beautiful finished part that only has enough resin in it to wet out the fibers of the cloth itself. So, hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and if you, if you buy this stuff from a uh, composite store, they, they call it peel ply, and, um, and, and it works great. And, of course, it's designed for the purpose, but a cheaper alternative is just to go to the fabric store and buy ripstop nylon. or It doesn't even have to be ripstop, just a nylon fabric. Just a nylon. So I have a question. I have an um, a airplane that I use, and it's one that I fly off the ground or snow or, or um, grass or snow or, or the water. Over time, of course, the bottom of it got kind of messed up. But I, I did basically what you said. Uh, I used fiberglass, and then I used uh, epoxy, epoxy on top of that. But I probably put way too much epoxy on it. Uh, when I did it, I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just trying to make it work, and it worked pretty good for a while. But then it started chipping away. So, like, do you have suggestions on where what a guy might do for a surface like that? Maybe that isn't the right solution. Maybe I should be just doing plastic or something instead. Or, what are your thoughts on that? Well, did you use a laminating resin, or did you just use epoxy? Epoxy. Okay. So the Typically, and this is not always the case, but typically the shorter the pot life epoxy. So, for example, common in our hobby is five-minute epoxy, five minute, right? Right, right. I don't know if you've guys noticed in your experience, but it's extremely brittle. Yeah, it dries fast, which is great for quick fixes at the field or whatever you need to do. And it's fairly strong given the cure time. The negative of it is it is brittle. There's no give in it. If you use a shorter pot life epoxy, you know, five or 12-minute or even 30-minute Maybe that's why you're having those results because it is more brittle. Laminating resin typically is much less viscous in in nature. So when you mix this stuff up, it'll actually wet out that cloth very easily. I mean, you can just pour it on and it'll actually soak right in or pretty close to it without a whole lot of outside force. Another reason why you might be having that chipped off is because if you put a bunch of epoxy on and very little cloth, there's not enough fibers in there to hold all that together. So there, there is kind of a ratio between, you know, how much cloth you're using and how much resin. Again, the resin isn't, doesn't have any strength. If you take uh, the bottom of any foam airplane and just take a paintbrush and paint epoxy on, it's all going to come chipping right off. There's nothing to hold it together. So if you were to throw a couple layers of fiberglass on there, it'll help hold all those fibers together. Or I'm sorry, hold the epoxy together. And it should be pretty darn durable. Yeah, I, I used... Um, I used uh... Medium, medium. I don't know what what the number was, but I used medium fiberglass, and I used a couple of of layers of it. And what resin did you use? I used thirty minute okay. epoxy. But but I think I think I did put it on too thick. I was like I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you know everything that I've done in this hobby almost has been trial and error. So 
Uh, well, luckily, that's why, that's why I'm suggesting because I'm sure other people have done similar to what I've done. Oh, and, sure. And, all right. So now that now that it's sort of chipped away, and this maybe it's got even a channel or two because you know I decided not to do anything about fixing it. Uh, what would I go? What would I do now to go back and fix it so that it might actually you know be usable again? Or, or like, yeah, sure. So dep- you know, a house is only good as its foundation, right? So if the foundation is chipping away and it's all kind of coming off, it might be better to start over and just remove all of that and start over. Uh, But if it still looks okay, you can sand down to the fibers themselves. So you can sand through all the resin sitting on top of the fibers, get down to the fibers, and then maybe add a couple layers of glass and then get your paintbrush out and and re-wet that. And then once that's dry, you can sand back down to the fibers, and then you'll get a pretty decent, durable finish. But again, that's it's the cloth itself that has the strength. It's not the epoxy. Will you be able to sand down to the? Uh, isn't it on foam? It is on foam, yeah. So if you you could sand down, would he sand down the fibers or sand down? So to it's the really foam, tricky to try to sand fiberglass on foam and the reason being is because foam is infinitely softer than the fiberglass that you're trying to sand on so if you slip and go to the edge or if you burn through it it's going to eat that fiberglass away and you're not even going to notice or i mean eat the foam away you're not even going to notice you sanding that foam there's no resistance there you're going to be sawing away at this thing and then all of a sudden hit that foam and it's you know it's going to dig right into it so you kind of have to be careful but you know definitely use a sanding block and take your time and work your way down to where you think it's a decent finish. Now, it doesn't have to be perfect because, remember, when you add more glass and resin on top of it, it's just going to cover all that up. And if you still have some surface imperfections that you don't like, you can also use you know, that metal glaze that I mentioned earlier to kind of fill some of the voids and even everything out. And that stuff sands really nice. So once you get done, you can add that on there and sand it down. Now, the big negative to that is it's very heavy. It's a uh, polyester resin. It sands great. It looks great. It takes paint really well, but it is heavy. So you want to use the least amount of that product as possible. And it's fine to cake it on, but remember, you got to sand it all back, sand it all back off. So once you get down to your final part, you want to just kind of notice you have very thin traces of the filler left, and and you know you don't want to have it globbed on there, just like you would want eighty pounds of Bondo on a car. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, you know, if, if I'm doing it, what could possibly go wrong? That's it, exactly. That makes perfect sense, Mike. What um, kind of airplane is it? It's a Dragonfly. The, the uh, was it North Star, Jay? Yeah, North Star or the yeah. Polaris. It's uh, it's an amphibious Delta Wing plane. Oh, cool. Plane. So I seen you, one, you can take it, it off the like ground, water, snow, whatever. It, it's just it goes wherever you want to fly off of whatever surface. So the the negative part of it is the belly takes all the brunt, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. The bigger kit that I have, they eliminated that problem because they actually give you a um a plastic, you know, bottom to put over the foam. Oh, that's good. Uh, idea. And the smaller version that Mike has, and I had one too, you had to add something uh because the bottom you'd wear right through it if you you know, you took it off of land too many times or, you know, you landed and you hit the beach too many times, that type of thing. Oh, yeah. Mike's showing me a picture of that right now. That's really cool looking. So another problem that we used to have that sounds really similar to what you have, and it's RC related. RC helicopters have plastic skids that go down, and then there's skid tubes, which are usually aluminum tubes that go inside it. Right. Now, because helicopters are fairly heavy and they vibrate, it's like sandpaper when they're sitting there on the concrete, and it actually sands through the landing gear skids and into the tubes ultimately and ruins your landing gear. 
So what we found over the years is a really good way to protect the bottom of those and prevent from changing them out and replacing them so often was to use those giant zip ties that you see in the hardware store from time to time. And you can cut those up in sections or leave them in long strips. So, for example, with your airplane, you could run two or three replaceable skids down the bottom of the airplane, which wouldn't affect how it flies. It wouldn't really add any weight. You could still fly off water, snow, or grass, whatever. Um, and then they're replaceable. So if you use a product like, oh, let's say E6000 is a good adhesive or shoe goo that's mm-hmm. almost has like silicone properties to it, you know, after you wear those zip ties down to where they're almost going to start eating into your airplane again, uh, you can just peel them off and then restick new ones. So it's kind of a cool way to, to keep from tearing your airplane up. It's a good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, just watch out, though, because depending on what kind of foam it's made out of, some of these glues can eat your airplane, which we all know about, right? Especially yeah, back in the day do. when we used regular CA on non... You know, this foam that we have these days is great because you can use regular CA on it, but I can't tell you how many years went by where if you just looked at your airplane wrong, it would shrivel up and melt I'm into melting. a puddle. So I'm melting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, learn from my mistakes. Always try a test piece first. Again, that, again, that doesn't happen to me. That never happens to me. <laughs> yeah, I think we had a whole podcast on glues. Oh, once. yeah. I glued sure myself did. to the table, to the chair. I had glue everywhere. Can't live with it. Can't live without it, right? That's right. Of course, this just makes me remember uh, my good buddy Pete back in Alaska. Uh, good guy, a great guy to fly with and everything, but he had a calibration problem, and that was I'd go, hey, Pete, just add a, just a dab of glue. Well, his dab of glue was like, you know, a cup of glue. That was a dab. <laughs> so whatever you, you whatever fix he had, I mean, you know, because his thing was not less is more, more is more. You know what I mean? More right. is better. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I forgot what, maybe, maybe we were putting together working on a Zaggy or we were working on something with EPP uh, type foam. And, I, and he asked me, hey, what can I use to repair this? And I said, well, you could use anything. EPP is great. You could use just about anything. But since it's a rubbery type of um, foam, use, you know, you could use hot glue because I know you have a hot glue gun and it's, it's quick, it's easy, it's flexible. And as long as you don't burn yourself type of thing, you know, that, that'll be your best way to do a quick fix on that. And he's like, okay, great. The next day I see him and he goes, man, I tell you what, he goes, uh, I, I, I fixed it, but man, I, you know, I went through, I went through a couple of, a couple of, uh, bags and I go, you went through a couple of bags. You mean sticks? And he goes, no, 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 not, not the sticks. I mean, a couple of bags of sticks. And I go, for whoa, glue, whoa, right? whoa, for whoa, whoa. <laughs> I said, you went through a couple of bags to make this repair? And he goes, oh, yeah. You know, he goes, the, the, this glue's not very efficient since, uh, you know, I, it takes so much glue. And I go, it, but it doesn't take that much glue, Pete. I, I don't even know how you, I mean, how did you do that? Like, were you just pouring and pouring, you know, glue in there? He goes, well, yeah, I just wanted to make sure it was fixed. It was well, there's fixed, only 50 the, sticks per bag. So, oh, yeah. come on, it, I ran out. Really it quickly. was so heavy after he got done with it. It was <laughs> I. I was just laughing because it was just this big lump of you know. It looked like a model, and then he, but it, it wasn't going to fly. And then he wondered how come it wasn't going to fly. He needed a bigger motor. <laughs> needed a bigger motor. So more more Absolutely. repairs. But it was fixed. It was fixed. Technically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have a problem with hot glue out here in Phoenix. So I said we lived in hell. We weren't really joking. So. The hot glue out here works really well in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, 
it doesn't melt the glue, but it's enough to make it soft enough where things start pulling apart. Oh, no. It ends a disaster. So hot glue you have to be really careful with out here just because it works, but you might as well go get silly putty and start putting airplanes together. (laughs) And how do we know this? We know this because when Spencer and I went to go fly his F-16, the nose wheel steering didn't work. Yes, that that was the latest um, edition of why we don't use hot glue here. So, yeah, right now it's summertime. It's, you know, 115 degrees out. You've got an airplane that's been sitting in the sun and hot motors, hot batteries, hot whatever. Yeah, the inside of the airplane is 130, 140 degrees. And, yeah, it uh, loses some bonding properties at that. So so we have this we have this beautiful fiberglass, uh, you know, intake that's been painted in the mold. It goes the complete length of the F-16. The motor, it slides around the motor so that the motor is actually pulling air straight through. The no actual cheater intake. holes or anything like no that. No cheater, nothing like just that. Like it's the just like the real straight, thing. just like the real thing. And then we have a <laughs> a glob of hot glue and a nose gear. A servo. glob of hot glue and a nose Same gear. Same engineer. Servo, so. So, <laughs> scratching my head on that one. <laughs> like, hey, well, and I'm like, why won't this thing steer? Because uh, I hot glued the well. Because he's trying to make the you know we want to be able to replace the servos, right? right. So the servos themselves, we don't want to epoxy the yes. servo to the actual fiberglass. So he used yeah, hot glue. Let's say you strip and, a nose gear servo, right? Because it hits a yeah. crack in the runway or whatever, right? right? That's right. a commonly stripped servo. So I went for the hot glue. It's convenient and that's gap filling and yeah, but it doesn't really hold up to the heat. And It's a perfect th- idea this time in 49 of the other states, just that's not the exactly one you were That's right. right. <laughs> so it happened to pop right. loose and Mike's trying to fly my airplane and it's all over the place and it ultimately granted the airplane for the day because of my prime choice and adhesives. So, so, so what is the right choice there? Uh, we're actually going to replace it with that E6000. And the reason being is that if you guys have used that yet, they sell it at all the hardware stores or Lowe's, Home Depot, whatever. But it's basically almost like clear silicone, but it's more of a adhesive instead of just a right. sealant. Right. And it has really good adhesion properties on smooth surfaces. There it is. That's it. So Jay's showing us a picture of it. <laughs> That's his quick yes. grip. We use that too. So very similar. The beauty of this stuff is it is replaceable. So let's say you had a servo attached to this intake, for example, and you strip the gears. You can get in there with perhaps your fingers or a flat bladed screwdriver or whatever. And like silicone, it'll peel off. Yeah, it's very strong and flexible, but um, with a little bit of force, you can actually get work under it and pop it off. And then peel it off your servo, change the gears out, and then repeat the process and glue it back in. So that's the huge advantage of this stuff is that you can peel it off of uh, any almost any surface and not leave any residue or any trace of it being there. And nothing's worse than a bunch of glue stains on an airplane. So that's what that's really cool. The downside is is it takes a really long time to dry, and it does not like to be disturbed while it's drying. So he's show, he's holding up his quick grip, which I haven't tried yet. I'm gonna have to give that a <laughs> right, shot. So. Yeah. So Quick Grip is very similar to the uh, E6000, but uh, it only takes 10 minutes to set up. Oh, nice. So that's why that's why I really like it. Now, I don't know, once again, we'd have to test it for such a rough application if it would hold up to it. But for, you know, I use the Quick Grip for putting, you know, uh, gluing my zaggies together or my wings together, or EPP planes together. It works fabulously for that stuff. It just takes, really, like it, I said, 10 and minutes. And it grips onto the foam well, huh? 
Mm-hmm. It grips onto it. Wow. Yeah, it really That's does. That's the downside of the E6000. That it's so thick the way it comes out of the tube. It actually doesn't penetrate the foam and and chemically right. bond and attach physically to the substrate, you know, being foam. Right. It really kind of just rides on top. And glue joints are all about surface area. Nope, this stuff pours out. You got to be really careful with it because you open up the cap, you tip it, and you're not thinking about it, and it just pours sure. right out. So it's a lot. It's very viscous. Right, and that's and that's good to have an alternative that actually will bond to foam because the six thousand is not a very good choice for foam. Right, and you have to be careful. Just like with all foams, are different. This stuff works great. The the six thousand, the quick grip works great on EPP because you know, uh-huh. nothing can hurt that stuff. EPS, it works okay on some formulas, but if you glob on a bunch of it on the wrong type of EPS, uh, e, uh, EPO foam, it will melt it a little bit. So you have to be careful and you know pre-test on something or on the box or that it came in or something exactly. to see if it's going to melt it. But I love the quick grip. It's you know 10 minutes, boom, you're ready to go. You could be flying. Oh, that's great. I'm going to have to try some. Um, they may have it in your Walmart store or you go online and you can have it ordered to that store that Walmart store right. or to your house. And I, I think actually Michael's and maybe Home Depot. Yeah, has Michael's it. has it. Home Depot, I'm not sure. They used to carry it, but I know for sure you can get it. Yeah, you can definitely get it at Michael's or Joann's. And like I said, Walmart, you can definitely order it online to have it delivered to the store because not all the stores carry it. Right. The E6000, right. does that stuff work very well in colder weather? Temperature doesn't seem to be an issue. Doesn't seem to affect it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I don't think cold would be an issue or extreme hot. I haven't, you know, it doesn't melt or anything. It actually off gases, you know, it's got some solvents inside of it, which is why you have to be careful with it on your foam. You know, right. only some of the EPS or the styrene style foams are sensitive to those solvents. But once the solvents off gas and this, uh, the adhesive cures, it's pretty impermeable. In fact, I think that E6000 specifically is waterproof. It's good to high and low temperatures, waterproof, that sort of thing. So it's actually pretty cool. It's, like I said, it's it's an adhesive with silicone-like properties to it, which is awesome. And you do you do have to let it have access to air, you though, do. because if you Absolutely. if you cover it up, whatever it'll heat up so much that it'll eat right through your foam till it finds the air, <laughs> and that could be on the other end of your airplane. Yes, like spontaneous combustion, right? When you throw when Almost, you throw your oily yeah, exactly. rags in the in the trash exactly. can and they and ignite on their own. That's true. So. Well, uh, now that we have this uh, F-16 put together, the problem is that in order to get this intake in, we had to auger out all this foam, which includes where we mount the landing gear. That's right. So now we have no way to mount the landing gear uh, in this F-16 because this beautiful new piece. And Mr. Engineer Spencer sitting here decided on his own to lay down on paper and figure out a way to laser cut some mounts and make the real thing. Yes, I, I made good use of my high school drafting classes and started drawing <laughs> things up on AutoCAD. And then, fortunately, I've got a friend of mine that has a laser cutter. So I, I can multiply these things and put them out on a 3 by 4 or 5 foot sheet of 8th inch plywood. And it'll buzz out you know, a couple hundred of them for me and then I've got them. So what you do is you glue this thing together, and then we use basswood rails uh, to mount the landing gear to, and that is pretty much it. The the landing gear bolts right to it, and then we glue this whole assembly inside of the airplane, and, and voila. 
So we just did that to, to Mike's airplane a couple of days ago. So when you land, actually, is it the intake that's taking the pressure for when you're landing? I mean, if the formers are, the formers are glued to the intake, right, still? or no, The formers are actually glued to the inside of the fuselage, but they, it just happens oh, to okay. be, it has almost like a C shape that goes around the intake to allow it to go through it. Uh, okay, because so the pictures I, I, I was looking at, I was like, okay, it looks like those are glued to it and then... You know, I was just wondering how much force could it take? I mean, you could glue it all together, but the intake isn't a structural part of the airplane. We're actually gotcha. trying to tie it okay. into the, the sides of the airplane, the foam itself. It basically slides around the intake. So, the you know, this bat, this wood that he has, it just kind of fits perfectly in the intake, and it's just wide enough to fit on the foam. So, we took some... Epoxy, I guess. Yep. Is it 30, 30 minute yeah, epoxy? 30 minute epoxy. <clears throat> 30 minute epoxy, and we added like a freaking ton of micro balloons. I, I've never added so many micro balloons to epoxy until Spencer uh, showed me how to do that. I've always added just a little bit, but Spencer adds so much to it that it looks like chalk. I mean, it looks almost <laughs> like a putty. Yeah, almost. I mean, it really is. It's super thick. I could not believe it. But the amazing thing is he puts it in a syringe. And then pushes it out like, like you know, it's just like a this little bead that comes out. And then the micro balloons and epoxy kind of just fade out, and it makes this perfect forty-five degree form on the yeah, wood like itself. And it's not like, yeah, like a fillet. It's it's amazing. I I put a little in there, and Spencer's like, "What are you doing?" You know, he just puts a ton of <laughs> micro balloons in there. I'm like, "Oh, okay." I I didn't realize you could put all that much in there, but it dries and. You know, it works out perfect. Yeah, so epoxy, um, I'm sure everybody listening, it's epoxy is kind of a pain. It's a runny mess for probably most of the mm-hmm. people that are listening. It's a disaster. But once you learn how to work with it and control it, it's actually really convenient because it dries fairly quickly. I used to think, you know, when I was a kid building airplanes that 15 minutes for glue to set up was an eternity. But now, uh, compared to some of the other adhesives I work with, and let's say E6000 even, that takes really overnight to cure, um, it's, it, it cures pretty quick. Using tools like milled fiberglass or micro balloons or a product called Cabasil, these are all fillers for epoxies that you can add to your epoxy once it's mixed together to give it different properties. So let's say in the instance of our F-16, we want to make these nice fillets to tie the wood and the foam together. And we all know that the glue bond is based off a surface area. So to increase the surface area, we would thicken this up and make a fillet out of this glue. Now, micro balloons are just uh, what they sound like. They're micro glass uh, spheres, actually, that are hollow. And when you mix this in with your epoxy, it makes it about almost half the weight. It degrades the strength a little bit, but not a po- not to the point where it's going to become an issue. Really, the rest of the airplane is going to fail around the epoxy. It's the strongest thing. I mean, we're working with foam here. And then right. you just take your old popsicle stick or whatever, and you can draw it, or, or you know, draw it along the the corners, and it get, leaves you a nice fillet that um, is structurally sound. And then that way, even if you had a lot of epoxy, well, it's already half as heavy as it was when you started. And the micro balloons, for example, don't allow the epoxy; it makes it not runny, right? And you can keep adding micro balloons to the point where it's a paste. Um, and it still works well, but I like it to flow a little bit because then you can kind of shape it with a popsicle stick or whatever tool that you're using and kind of get it to do what you want it to. So, uh, for those of you that hate epoxy, uh, give it a second chance, go get some micro balloons. (laughs) Uh, there's also milled fiber, which is basically 
fiberglass strands that are chopped up uh, or powderized, and you can mix that in with your epoxy to make it more impact resistant, uh, much harder, much less brittle, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Mike. Um, the downside is it's very heavy. So there's always pluses and minuses, which is why we call them composites, and we use different right. materials for different purposes. So, exactly. you know, it's just a matter of working with this stuff and being patient with it. The problem is it's really hard to get rid of cured epoxy. It's stuff as hard as a rock. So once you screw it, it up, hard, it's, yeah. it's kind of a pain. But uh, once you learn how to work with it, I love it. He's got a whole refrigerator full of it, actually. Two gallon jugs of, you know. Yeah, it's laminating it's resin. And I've had it for a while. I, I kind of, I ordered a bunch and realized that the hardener that I ordered, uh, it's supposed to have a like a 20-minute pot life. But because it's so damn hot here, it kicks off in like five minutes. And so I had I had to make another order, and you're already getting nailed for the shipping. So I'm like, well, I might as well order another gallon of resin and then the slow hardener. So I bought a, a cheapy little mini fridge that sits in my garage, and it's full of paint, CA, resins, epoxies, you name it. It's all in there because it preserves so much better in a fridge than it does, obviously, in a hot Phoenix garage or really almost any garage in America at the right time of <laughs> At year, 150 it's blazing degrees. hot out there, so... Um, and I also put my lipo batteries in there, so it's really good to store those batteries if you're not constantly flying them or, you know, at least throughout the week, you can throw them in that refrigerator and, you know, the chemistry inside a battery is just that it's chemistry and it's a chemical reaction that's constantly degrading itself. So just like your food, you put it in the fridge, it doesn't rot as fast. We do the same thing with our batteries, or at least I do. I've got batteries that are six to eight years old. And are working really well. And uh, in fact, a friend of mine that was doing aerial photography with a model helicopter, he pulled out batteries that were 12 years old, believe it or not. And they had 90% of their capacity and output rating as they did when they were new 12 years ago. So it's really a, an effective way to preserve your batteries wow. if you guys aren't oh, going to go on vacation for to start a couple using that weeks spare fridge. Or, or whatever. Throw them in the fridge as long as your wife will let you. Or go buy a cheapy mini fridge and throw it in the garage. She'll never notice. And then, uh, and keep yeah. all your nasty stuff out there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Exactly. Hey Spencer, I got, I got a question for you. Yeah. So I have a, I have a little glider, uh, has a fiberglass body. When Mike was up, uh, <laughs> I think I might've heard about I this. I think we crashed it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> nice. So I, so I, I'm going to repair it, okay. but, um, you know, I was looking at, I'm looking at the body and I, you know, I could see where the, epoxy not not the epoxy itself but i should say the um the epoxy paint has kind of come off in spots or it got chipped off so how do i go about repairing like things like that the cosmetic part of the glider or the body of something uh well the cosmetic is the tough part honestly the repairing something structurally is easy in comparison to the cosmetic stuff it's easily it's you know the composite stuff it's easy to make it structurally sound it's very hard to make it look good afterwards or make it look like it never happened. But a um, couple of things. So let's say you're flying your fiberglass fuselage airplane, whether it be a motor glide or a hotline or whatever, right? And you dork it in and it snaps in half. If you take that, those two pieces and kind of mate them up to each other and just use some thin CA, it'll, the thin CA will actually wick into the fibers and kind of hold it together while you add more fiberglass cloth and resin to act as, again, the skeleton to do the repair. 
And let's say you do this on the inside of a round tube. Let's say it's a hotliner fuselage, and the outside looks terrible, right? It's all chipped, like you said, and mm-hmm. and the gel coat. If they mold it with polyester coat, resin, the they have a gel coat on yeah. there that can chip away. And just like we were talking about earlier, the reason why that gel coat chips away is because there's no fiberglass cloth in that gel coat. It's actually a coating that they put in before they lay up the part, which is exactly why it chips so easily. So what you can do is um, you can sand down to the fibers themselves where the damage is, get through the gel coat, get down to the structure, right? Because we want to tie the structure to structure and then add some cloth on the outside and sand it all down to where it's flush. And then you can prime it and paint it. So it's kind of a process. There's not a really an easy fix, but the gel coat is basically a non-structural resin on the outside that is a strictly facade. It doesn't do anything for strength. It actually is, is only there just to make the molding process easier and to make it look nice. So when you say it's chipped, um, is it because when the airplane crashed that it stressed enough to where it chipped off and, and now you've got, do you have it, ex, do you have like exposed cloth that you, can you see the weave? I, I, it's sitting back here on my rack. I, I should go grab it and I'll show you. Hold on for a second. Let me go grab it. All right. Oh yeah. See, so notice that the gel coat is chipped off and what are you left with? It looks like I can see the weave, right? Yeah, that's correct. So what I would do in that case is anytime that a composite structure Flexes enough to where the uh, gel coat pops off. It probably has untied the cloth of the fiberglass from the the resin itself. So it's usually a good idea Mm -hmm. to take some just CA and just kind of CA all those fibers back together. Or you can use laminating resin, but if you're in a pinch, you can use some CA. Go ahead and CA that from the outside and the inside, and that'll kind of hold the fibers together. And then typically that will structurally be good enough to keep it together for a while. I mean, if you really want to go over the top, you can, all, you know, like I said, you can use laminating resin and kind of rework those fibers and get them re-soaked again, right? But uh, if you're in a pinch, you can just CA those and then take that uh, metal glaze, fill those voids with a spreader or a razor blade, and then sand it down to where it's flush with the rest of the airplane and paint it. Oh, Okay. So, well, when you say it, it seems easy. Well, it is a process. <laughs> yeah, know, right? right? You've got to be patient. Is... It, 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 repairs are actually repairs are pretty easy. They're just time consuming, and a lot of people aren't aren't patient enough to to see the end. But yeah, yeah. So in two weeks, I expect to see that thing all pretty, right? Oh, well, I don't know about two weeks, but okay, I'll give it a shot. All right. I got plenty of glue. I go. got plenty of sticks for glue, my glue gun, so I'll just fill that up with some glue. Yeah, Jay's Jay's busy being retired. He didn't have time time for doing this stuff. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's hilarious. So, well, speaking of two weeks, our uh, our hour's up. We would love to oh. keep talking to Spencer if you're okay with that, Spence. We'd, uh, we'd love to, to keep you here in the studio. But uh, I think our episode for this, uh, this week is up. So uh, if you'll hang out with us, we'll keep talking to you Sounds if that's good. okay. Well, guys, before we go, uh, Mike was nice enough to get Doug Leroy on the phone, and they've got an event coming up. Doug, welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast once again. Uh, why don't you tell us a little, a little bit about your event that's coming up? Sure. Well, we uh, in September, uh, September 1st, Labor Day weekend, we've got our second annual fly-in event in Holly Springs, North Carolina. It's called Wings Over Springs. It's uh, a fly-in and swap meet. 
Oh, a, a swap meet. That's kind of neat. What's that? How does that work? Well, basically, you pay your pilot's fee uh, to, to fly at the event, and with that is included a table and a tent, um, or tables and tents, to put out any of your stuff that you'd like to sell or trade or with other modelers. So it was pretty well received last year. We had, we actually had one attendee last year that came specifically for that. He had an entire trailer load of of planes. He was retiring and getting out of the hobby. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of neat to see that somebody found us and was coming just for that piece of it. That's awesome. Well, did you uh, pick up anything yourself? I did. It was something small. It was basically a, a DC power supply for a you know charging station. Can't go wrong with that. Staying modest, that's a good idea. Yeah. Well, it's an electric fly-in, right? Are there other types of models that can come, or how does that work? Yeah, so it's a, uh, because we're a park flyer club and we are electric only, it's an electric an electric event. However, for this event, we have it open to all types of aircraft. Uh, the only exception to that would be no gas turbines. But other than that, wet fuel, glow gas, giant scale, all the way down to the UMX are 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 open to fly in the park that day. The event is actually hosted on a 20-acre event field, which is not our normal uh, everyday flying site in the park, but our, our field is located in the park. Regular flying site is more park flyer friendly. It's six acres size, but we get the event field. So it's it's a venue that's a, one of the largest flying areas I've I've flown at. So it's, it's, it's a nice size. This also benefits your charity though too, right, Doug? That's correct. So locally in town, there's a, a foundation called Meg's Smile Foundation. That's where they basically grant wishes for children with terminal illness. And because they're a Holly Springs nonprofit, and I know the, uh, the founder of that organization, we, as a club, since we're a nonprofit, and want to give back to the town, we kind of adopted that charity. So right. part of our 50-50 raffle proceeds uh, will be benefiting Meg Smile Foundation. Uh, the other aspect of the event is it's fundraising for the Parks and Rec Department. Nice. Um, they allow us the use of our model flying site at, at no charge. In fact, they pushed an ordinance through the town council about a year and a half ago where they designated this area of the park uh, ex- exclusively for model uh, aircraft operation, right? And they allow us to operate from there. So, to give back to them at minus expenses, we take some of the proceeds and we give that back to the town. And last year, we were able to give the town a thousand dollars. Wow! Um, of which they did some uh, improvements for our field, bought us a windsock, put a, a gear locker out out at the out at the field. Um, they're going to be purchasing a weather station at some point for the park that'll be funded by our proceeds. So we're we're doing things to give back and enhance the community um, experience there in the park. Wow, that those are great ideas. Um, so I noticed something maybe about drone racing. What's going on with that? So we're we're really excited about this aspect because um, the way the park is arranged, it, it was a former farm, and the the, county, the town acquired this land. Adjacent to the large 20-acre flying site, right at the entrance of it, there is a two-acre corral that uh, last year one of the local hobby shops, uh, Hangar 18 Hobbies in Cary, North Carolina, uh, sponsored a drone racing event. And we're doing that again this year. We're a little bit bigger. We're we're also pushing out some advertising through uh, MultiGP. And uh, we've got some MultiGP pilots that are going to be doing demonstrations. But the, the folks last year had a had kind of an interesting little challenge course, and they had television monitors and goggles where the public could come up and 
see what drone racing was all about and understand drone operations at, you know, in a hobby aspect. And we're going to do that again this year. Uh, it was, it was very popular. So we're, we're amping our game up there. It was a good draw and, uh, we're hoping for a, a bigger turnout this year for that, that portion of the event. Good. Good. Uh, I'm kind of sad. I'm going to end up missing this. You have another sponsorship. You mentioned MultiGP. Anybody else? Yeah. So um, the vice president of our club, Jason Getchman, he's he's our uh, donations expert. He's the one that's been soliciting donations from uh, local hobby shops and hobby organizations all over the uh, all over the country. So uh, this year, uh, thus far, we have I think a retail value of about twenty five hundred dollars worth of uh, donated items. Everything from small trainer planes that would be park flyer appropriate that we're going to uh, offer to the public in a public raffle during the event to uh, the main raffle is basically our pilot's raffle. So the pilots will be able to to win uh, uh, prizes from RA Cores, Heads Up RC, Twisted Hobbies. We've got a box load of Zap glue. So if you need super glue, we've got a ton of it. <laughs> um We've got Raleigh UAV, which is a local uh, professional UAV drone company, uh, doing our videography for the event. So we should have some good footage to, to promote it after the event. It's a nice uh, donations list that kind of you know makes it interesting for the pilots, and we hope that everybody that comes walks away with uh, with something in addition to a lot of good memories. Well, my sister's really be mad when I cancel uh, going to the wedding. Yeah, I'm, I'm, true, she's going to be really mad at me. <laughs> I didn't go down the whole sponsor list. So if those didn't entice you, maybe there's something else on this list that'll, that'll definitely get you to come here. As long as you call my nice. sister. It was really terrible planning that you had a wedding to go to. Yeah, on call weekend. my sister for me. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a number. I will. I will. That's funny. Mike's been delayed. He has to check on... Uh, Airplane operation. All right, so... Um, I, I assume everybody in the public can go to this. Isn't just uh, this isn't just pilots from your club, right? Right. So the other outreach we do, because because again, the purpose of us doing this event is really to put a face on the hobby to the general public. You know, there's so much information out there in the news that puts drones and, and model operations, or really, you know, the drone name in, the, in a bad light. So we we open the event up to public, and the public is is invited to attend the event from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So kind of midday. Gates open at 8 a.m. And we fly until six. So right during the midday, we'll have noontime demos. Well, it was a draw last year. Again, it was our first event last year, so we were learning. But um, we probably had about 300 public uh, filter through the event. So not bad for a, for a first event. We got a lot of great feedback from pilots that were really, uh, they couldn't believe it was our first event. So we're hoping that we'll will not disappoint those that are coming back this year and uh, amp up our game. Does the public have to register or do just the pilots register? So only pilots register. Um, we've got our registration set up through RC Flight Deck, and the best way to access that is through our website. So if, if folks navigate to www.hssrcg.org, um, they'll see a link there for pilot registration, and they can they can go in and, and register. And you can right. Register. You can pre-buy your raffle tickets if you'd like. Good. You can make a donation to Meg Smiles all before the event. You know, whatever whatever you'd like to do. We just wanted to give folks options. Awesome. So what what happens if it rains? Well, we don't have an alternate date. Uh, last year we had a hurricane event that, that whisked through the area on Friday night before the Saturday. So we thought we thought the event might, event might be rained out last year, but it wasn't. I was sending out emails, and I will send them out again this year. It's a rain or shine event, barring any hurricane-type event where we've got high winds and solid rain. And the park's open. We're going to be flying. So, you know, the weather this time of year, is, as I'm sure it is in Texas, you know, you have the pop-up thunderstorms and, and, you know, spotty showers. But generally, every day's got some sunshine. 
And so we're just going to uh, keep an eye on the weather and hope for the best and uh, have a good event. Well, that sounds good. Um, so do I just give them your personal phone number or, or do they, who do they contact if they have questions? So if they have, if they have questions, they can uh, send an email to our website. It'd be best if, they, if I uh, answer those via the email. It's WOS18 at hssrcg.org is the uh, email address. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, let's see. I don't think I have any other questions. Is this an AMA-sanctioned event? Oh, yes. First and foremost, this is an AMA-sanctioned event. We are a chartered club of the Academy of Model Aeronautics and support them with our full backing. It is a, a, a registered event. Why don't you give us the information one more time, and then um, I think that's all the questions I have. Yeah, the Wings Over Springs 2018 Electric Flying and Swap Meet is going to be on Saturday, September 1st, 2018. Uh, gates open at 8 a.m., flying until 6 p.m. We'll have a pilot's meeting at 10 a.m. The general public is welcome to attend and attend and see what we do as model hobbyists. Um, the public is welcome from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and that's free. There is a $10 landing fee for the pilots. That includes the swap. Uh, we do require that you are AMA, have your current AMA membership in order to uh, fly at the event. The, uh, if you're interested in drone racing, uh, 250 size quads or, or less, we're going to have a full uh, drone racing course there with, uh, with drone racing and demonstrations going on all day. And after the public leaves at 2, they'll be doing a little multi-GP event. So uh, we've got electric hookups available. There's 19 power stations you'll be able to park on the field. It's 20-plus acres of, of open grass flying field. We'll have a runway that this year we're going to extend to almost 1,000 feet. Uh, because some of the bigger planes wanted it. <laughs> We've got an exclusive pilots-only raffle, a 50-50 raffle, and, and benefits. Uh, uh, proceeds benefit the Meg Smiles Foundation uh, here in Holly Springs and also the Holly Springs Parks and Recreation Department. If you need more information, just visit the Holly Springs Skyhawks website at www.hssrcg.org. Perfect. Uh, thanks, Doug. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to to talk with me and, uh, and give me that information about your event. And, and I'm well, sure thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm sure everybody who's going, I'm not me. I'm really sad. Uh, are gonna have <laughs> we'll have time. it again next year. You can come to the third <laughs> annual event. Oh, definitely. I definitely will. All right, again, thank you so much for uh, talking with me, and uh, we'll, we'll talk with you later. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Well, Mike, thanks for getting Doug on the phone. We really appreciate uh, his input. We hope he has a great event, and we wish him the best of luck. Well, guys, uh, from here in Arizona, I'm Michael. Jay from the hills of Texas. And A.K. Mike in Texas. We'll see you in two weeks. Let's fly. See ya. You have been listening to the Park Flyer Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to your next visit. Please give our show a star rating and review, and feel free to email us your questions, topics, or suggestions to... Park Fire Podcast at gmail.com.